Welcome to In This Economy, the podcast where young people from Zimbabwe and around the world discuss how they are navigating life in the current economic circumstances. With me, your host, Kim Nyajeka. This week's episode hits a little bit close to home, both literally and figuratively. If you had a chance to tune into my mini episode that was released just after episode two, I talked a little bit about how I had the opportunity to leave my home country, Zimbabwe, to pursue my studies and work a little bit overseas. Uh, Circumstances worked out that I had to come home and um, a similar situation happened with my guest too. So this week we unpack how our experiences abroad have impacted the way we see the circumstances in Zimbabwe and also talk a little bit about our experiences while we were abroad, whether or not we would go back and the things we would consider before packing up and leaving. Um, So I do hope you enjoyed the episode. Please do not forget to follow the podcast on Instagram at In This Economy Podcast and follow me, your host, at Kim Yajeka on Twitter. I would love to hear your experiences, any comments you have on our conversation. And yeah, let's let's talk. Let's let's unpack. All right. So let's get into the episode. So today we are discussing coming home in this economy with my very lovely guest, Chido. Chido, welcome to the show. So as young Zimbabweans, um, and I guess a lot of young people in developing countries, we know that everyone at some point has considered leaving or has tried to leave, or if they've had the opportunity to be able to go overseas to study and have various experiences. And, you know, for various reasons, you end up coming home, whether it's by choice or circumstances, you just come home. But obviously you've experienced something, there's been culture shock, perspective changes, all of those kinds of things. So that's what we're gonna unpack, go into and navigate in this episode. So Chido, do you wanna introduce yourself real quick? Okay, thank you so much. Um, So my name is Chido Nyaruwata. I am an Afrofeminist researcher, consultant, youth climate activist and digital storyteller. Um, I'm currently working as a research assistant for the African Gender Institute based at the University of Cape Town. I'm working remotely and I'm also consulting for a pan-African feminist um, organization that focuses on giving rapid grants to feminist movements and women human rights defenders. A multifaceted hun, can we say? Yes. Um, so you know, I, we've known each other and been friends for like a while. And I feel like our journeys as like immigrants low-key have sort of mirrored each other a lot in the last couple of years. Um, having like had an overseas experience for postgraduate education, doing um, an internship overseas and all of that kind of stuff. And then eventually, you know, things working out to come home. Um, so my first question to you is with all your experiences in mind, what has been the most challenging aspect of coming home post-university and after your internship experience? I think the most difficult thing has been adjusting back to Zim life. The reality is that Zimbabwe is a very unique place. Some might describe it as a place not being real because some of the things that happen, you're constantly asking yourself, like, am I in a simulation? Is this really happening? Like, um, so I think it's that. I think it's shifting your mind from, you know, living in a quote-unquote normal economy or living in a place which has systems in order and there is, if something goes wrong, there's like a 
a path of recourse for you. But in Zimbabwe, that's, you know, you might not have that. You can't, there might not be systems. There are systems that do not exist for you to ensure that you might get the service that you want, that you might not get, you know, the protection of your human rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like even basic things of not getting changed in the shop and being told, I'm going to give you a coupon. And this coupon has the value of one dollar. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy something so yeah. that you know you round up. So it's just a bit, it's like very like disorientating and you have to make that shift or else, you know, you will not have an, an easy time living in this country. So I think that has been one of the difficult um, transitions is making that mind shift, you know, that's crucial to your survival in this place. Yeah, definitely. I think the mind shift is the hardest part because for me personally, having, you know, been in like a two, three year period of, oh, I'm about to leave, I'm about to leave. So Zim didn't feel that like tiring. I mean, it felt like yeah, this is a movie, this is difficult, this is hard, but there was always something to look forward to, you know, going, like, for internship opportunity, like, for a good two years, I wasn't fully, like, immersed in this place, and then now, like, you come back home, and, I mean, I traveled during COVID, so, like, at the height of COVID in 2020, so when, you know, the flights were changing every 10 seconds, so when I got home, it really felt like, yeah, guys, I'm back, and there's no way out, because, you know, traveling yeah. through time was really difficult, and so changing your mindset to being like, okay, I'm not going to be able to use an ATM, um, everything I want to do, I can't just go on an online boutique and go shopping for stuff. You know, I need to go find someone who's selling stuff. You know what I mean? So mm. yeah, it's no. And hoping of- they actually get the stuff. Exactly. It's just a uh, yeah. It's it's a lot to think about. I think doing for some very simple things in this country, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people developing countries can relate. It's just unnecessarily mm. difficult. So. Uh, Considering like all of your experiences, um, having pretty much lived on three continents, um, do you think pursuing higher education as a means to leave a difficult economic environment is practical? That, you know, I've been thinking about that question. Um, and particularly after doing my master's and I was like, okay, you know, you're told, do your undergrad, uh, in the South African context, you're told, do your honours, then you're told, do your masters, and this will open doors for you. And it was a bit frustrating when I was applying for, like, internships during my masters. So I did my masters at the University of Cape Town, and then I got to go to Paris and learn at Sciences Po. Um, on an exchange program, on the Erasmus exchange program. And that really opened up my eyes. I was like, oh, wow, you know, like applying to international organizations, it's a possibility, especially if, you know, I I mean, it's a sad reality, but there are higher chances of you getting into certain institutions if you are associated with particular higher education universities. And Sciences Po is one of them, the University of Cape Town is, and it's quite superficial, but I don't want to get into that right now. So when I was looking for work during during my master's dissertation, I came home to do field work, and I was looking for stuff to do here after I finished um, after I submitted my master's dissertation, and I kept applying and applying for internships throughout them, like 
whether it was international organizations, local NGOs, um, even corporate, and there was just nothing. And I was thinking to myself, what was the point of me pursuing this postgraduate degree if I'm not finding work? And then lo and behold, I get an internship in uh, Japan. So I got to work as a junior fellow in the Office of the Rector of the United Nations University. And even when I'm there and I'm like, but yes, it's great that I'm in this developed country and stuff, but I really want to be closer to home doing developmental work on the continent. And I'm thinking that I'm going to get easier access when I come home and apply again. And it didn't happen, you know. I did get a job through, um, you know, my networks. And that was at UCT. And I think that was the moment where I realized that, okay, it's not bad to actually pursue higher education in another country, but it's about how do you strategically use this opportunity that you have to open the doors for you. And sometimes it's actually about networking within people who might be your age group or just a little bit older or your lecturers and realizing like, how can I draw on these uh, individuals and these networks to lead me to the next step? because I don't think, I don't actually think it's ever been designed for you to get a master's and you get a job immediately. But I think it has always been about relationships. Mm. So when you're pursuing this postgraduate or even your undergraduate studies, like what relationships are you building in the space that you're in to get you to the next step? Actually, let it be genuine, have genuine relationships with people. And be willing to learn and also be willing to share because I think people are more willing to vouch for you when they've seen that, you know, they've actually helped me out here or they've been really cool to interact with. And it's not just a case of you saying, hey, I'm doing my MA, I need a job, you look like you're in high places, can you get me a, a spot? And like, yeah, for some people it does work. And I think there's a particular demographic that it works for. Mm -hmm. But I think if you are an immigrant, particularly if you're black, particularly if you're a woman, I think some, which is really messed up, but that approach might not be taken too lightly. But it's also about like, who am I interacting with? And how are we able to assist each other, navigate this world? It's just about understanding how can I use this paper or this experience that I have to strategically put me you know set me up for the next step so yeah oh no definitely and I, I also just to add to what you're saying I mean it is difficult to get work um now and more and more now the world is very not not very open to students a lot of limitation on student visas on any kind of temporary visa that just says you're a young person and you're here to get like an mm -hmm. educational experience it's not easy it's it's possible i mean we've seen lots of people do it but i think what it was like 10 years ago is definitely not what it was like now and it's going into more and more of a difficult place i it, it looks like definitely. um but also just to add to what you are saying masters higher education postgraduate qualifications is hard like on top of you know your goals of leaving the country just understand that personally i was you know told like oh just go do your masters it's just a masters and when i walked into the situation um sort of like it was something i really wanted to study regardless of the opportunities that came with that that came with what i was able to study in europe 
but there's no such thing as it's just a master's like you need to know it is hard it is challenging and um if you know you are in a situation where you have to immigrate the school part is not the easy part the school part is just as significant as your efforts towards looking for a job and so that as an immigrant you're already at a disadvantage so your grades need to be really good for them to even, you know, go through the trouble of exactly. how to immigrate and do all of those things. So the studying part is difficult. I think a lot of people go in with a mindset of, oh, I'm going to study, but while looking for other things, but the school part cannot suffer. Definitely. And that's kind of funny because it's like, if you let the school part go, then your visa becomes invalid. And it's like, you can go home now. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it's also like that perspective where it's like, you definitely want to look for other opportunities, but you need to make sure that you actually complete the program on time and that you do what is needed you know and you're right like a lot of people have this perception that it's just a master's you're just studying but like we don't actually realize that there's so much work and effort that is put on you know the amount of readings that you have to do mm. and it's also I think it's a bit sad, but I think we're now at a stage where everybody is told just do a master's, but in actual reality, like that postgraduate degree was kind of designed for people who want to create specialist knowledge mm -hmm. and who, you know, have this desire to really do the reading, especially if you do like, um, you know, quote unquote traditional masters of you do your coursework or you do your dissertation. I know that now they are professional masters. Um, that's something that they had at Sciences for, whereby you do coursework, but then you do an internship for like a semester, then you go back and you do other classes. But it's just asking yourself, like, do I really want this in terms of, am I ready for the subject matter? Is this something that I'm going to be interested in? Or am I just doing it for the sake of having the qualification? Because they're going to be really tough moments. And I think knowing why you're doing this program really helps you to push through the really late nights and difficult conversations. And especially like when you are an immigrant, and I think particularly when you're from Africa and people are talking about, especially if you do like masters related around economics, development, IR, um, the way that Africa is perceived it's still like we're in like the 1950s or 60s or something like that where it's still seen as like the dark continent mm -hmm. and we're still we're still very much subjects and we're not seen seen as you know authoritative voices on African experiences but also just knowledge production in general so i think that's something you also have to take into consideration that when you are in certain seminars you might be the only african in that seminar and it really sucks but you got to be the voice of like 54 countries and you got to be like no that's not correct like i had an instant um about that and i had to call my classmate out when they did their presentation Mm. and my lecturer is like yeah she's right you know like she's actually right like what you're saying is quite problematic and it sucked because I was the only like black person in that class mm. but I was like I can't allow this to happen so those are some of the interactions that you have I think particularly if you do go overseas um I'm not quite I think in the South African context there's still the issues of you know some folks think that 
it's the north of Limpopo is like a dark land. <laughs> and, you know, there's the South African exceptionalism that you also have to deal with. Mm. So, yeah. So those are just some of the experiences that you have to kind of prepare yourself for, but that you also encounter. And sometimes you need to actually step up and speak out against it. Also considering, you know, people's economic situation, their financial standing at home. Obviously, some people go into fields that are like critical skills just for the sole purpose of moving. It's just the academic part is also very demanding, very taxing, very, Mm. yeah, it's not, that's not the flyaway. The hard part isn't just looking for the work, but has your experience studying and working in better economies impacted your view of the current economic situation? Um, I think you rightly highlighted earlier on that there are certain things that you can't do with ease. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the most basic thing is using the ATM. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was in a seminar and well, I was my master's in UCT and there were like new um, MA students and one of them was Zimbabwean. And he was just narrating to me, like, he was like, a friend had to show me how to use the ATM. Hmm. And I looked at him and I was like, what? <laughs> and, you know, I think he was like maybe mid-20s. And I think for me, it was a bit of a shocker because my childhood is that I spent most of it actually growing up in South Africa. And I came back to swim when I was 13. So grade seven from one. Mm-hmm. So I, for me, like visiting Zim, it had always actually, I'd always actually seen it as a place of dysfunction, mm-hmm. if I'm being quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of things that you would see that you wouldn't necessarily see in South Africa. So in my mind, I've always seen Zimbabwe as a place where certain things do not work. I've never had that experience where some folks, you know, they talk about the early 90s and, you know, early 80s as well. But for me, that has never been something that I could totally relate to. Mm. So having that childhood experience and coming back at, you know, the pinnacle of when things really went bad, sorry, in 2008, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, this is something that we've been building up to, that I've been seeing. And then now in my adulthood basically living, like you said, on three continents, three different continents and coming back to Zim, I've just kind of said, this is what Zimbabwe has been for me my whole life. Mm. So there's certain things where I'm like, when I go back home, the expectations or the experiences that I've had, like, go to the back burner. You know, I'm like, okay, in Zim, I'm always going to find something that is not working or has gotten worse. But in some instances, you do see certain things improving, you know. Um, but then it improves for a very small population and not for the whole country or everyone. I remember during my, when I was doing my dissertation, it was 2019 and that was when like the blackouts were really bad. Like mm-hmm. I think it was like 18, 20, 18 to 20 hour blackouts. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to my mom's office. She's based in town. I'd go with her in the morning, do my write-ups. The days I didn't feel like going to town, I would either wake up like at three, three to about five, do some work. If I wanted to work on my laptop. Um, I remember actually having my interview for my internship at four o'clock. I mean, obviously there's a time difference, but I had to make sure that I scheduled it. Like, 
during that period where I knew there was going to be power. So it was mm-hmm. like from four o'clock to four thirty, mm-hmm. and then no, no, sorry, it was from four thirty to five o'clock, and literally like fifteen minutes after my interview, the power went out. Wow. <laughs> so it's like you know that's that's the thing is like I laughed with my mom and I was like ah that's the bug where you know you gotta yeah. make it's. It's crazy how you have to kind of shift your life around failure of public service delivery, you know, and that's not how it should be. But unfortunately, that is the current state of the economy of the political situation. You know, I'm speaking from a very privileged perspective of living in the suburbs, you know, having the resources or having parents who have the resources Mm. to, you know, have these alternative means of living and also having a support system outside that can give us resources to live some sort of comfortably but there's a certain limitation to that comfort because you still have to engage in with the rest of society yeah in certain ways yeah and that's the only way but i think for me one thing that's shifted my view um, having been to other countries is that when you go through a culture shock and you understand how people relate to each other, you kind of go back into your memories about what Zimbabweans are like and how Zimbabweans, you know, how we talk to each other, how, you know, if you passed by someone, you know, you would greet them in the morning, like that kind of thing. You go to another country and you don't do that anymore. But now coming, coming home, because those sort of things I'm more conscious of, I've realized it's definitely not the same place I was in growing up. People are a lot colder. You see it in the way people drive. You see it in the way someone knocks at you in town. I'm not expecting to be like, oh my God, I'm sorry. But like growing up, I don't even know if it's rose colored sunglasses, but I think, I don't know what it is. People were much nicer. The economy has just taken such, the situation has just taken such a toll on the social fabric of the country that they're very likely to get scammed, you know, by someone you grew up with. And it's very shocking. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? I thought we were, you know, childhood <laughs> friends. Now you you really scammed me. Like you've taken my money. You you know, it's it's not a nice feeling. But to mm. me, that's a huge indication and something that's even more noticeable having mm. been somewhere where not necessarily that people, you know, where I was staying in Europe were like nice to each other or anything. But I'm like, yeah, but in Zimbabwe, you know, you're kind of we're kind of friendly you know we're known for that yeah and I think just to add on that I think one of the big culture shocks like you're rightly saying is understanding how individuals I'm saying this word wrong but how much the society focuses on the individual um in particularly western societies Mm -hmm. and there's that memory, like you're rightly hold, like you're rightly saying, is that at home there's this understanding of the collective. Mm. But the more and more I like unpack that, I think it's there's an appreciation of the collective which looks like me in Zoom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's when, you know, some of some of the interactions that we have and some of the beliefs that we have in our society, you know, we're conservative. Christian nation, upholding morals, blah, 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 blah. But then that's actually usually um, to say we only will respect you if you look like us or if you sound like us. Mm -hmm. But if you step out of these norms, we're not going to respect you. And that's something that I'm seeing that's more and more apparent in our country, and especially since we live in a highly polarized and politicized Mm -hmm. country. It's 
you can see like the vitriol that comes out when somebody who doesn't necessarily agree with um, what the quote-unquote majority is saying. And this can be being a woman in politics, you know. Um, this could be a queer person in our society. This could be somebody who's an individual with disabilities. It begs the question, you know, who is Zimbabwe designed for if our institutions are not making sure that every single citizen, regardless of their ability or disability, has access to justice? It's a very, it's a very strange place to be in, and I think that that really is impacting um, our social structure. And I say this a lot to people I'm talking to, we could fix the Zimbabwean economy today, but I think there's so much social degradation that a functioning economy, functioning ATMs, is, it's gonna take much more than that to address some of yeah. the societal things that have just deteriorated in Zimbabwe. Mm. Yeah. So let's say, you know, you apply for that job or you apply for that scholarship, you get it, visa is stuck into your passport, you're ready to go, everything is fine, COVID test done, you've crossed immigration, you are now in your new country. In your view, what is the most important skill someone needs to adapt when living anywhere? Of your entire experiences, what's the most important skill that someone needs for that adaptation process? Flexibility. (laughs) (laughs) It has to be flexible. Like, yeah. And you know, when I was thinking about this question, I was like, okay, I know flexibility is the word, but in practice, what does that look like? And I think for me, it means having an open mind to um, different people and realizing that there are certain things that you have never experienced before and you should not be ashamed of that Mm. um I think that's you know you should be okay in knowing that you are ignorant in certain aspects Mm -hmm. like when I moved to Japan I mean of course I had like I had Asian food before, but I've never used like a chopstick because I was always like, why? Mm. You know, it's hard to hold it. And then now I'm in Japan and that's basically it. (laughs) You know, I had to be okay with like learning how to use it and being open how to use it. And I remember there was a time we had like after work drinks and one of my colleagues, he was really okay but he was like a really like he was a dick he was really mean yeah. but he, mm-hmm. i was kind of like uh like so another colleague had gotten like different food there was what's it called there was like fried i think it was chicken i think it was fried chicken or something like that and like i was trying to like hold it with the chopstick and i just kept like the chopsticks kept like getting out of my hands and then i eventually was just like fuck it i'm gonna use my hands and then i did and then my colleague was like yeah i can see you really struggling with that And then everybody just looked at him and they were like, she's just been here for a month. So like it takes time to actually like master this. And then my other other intern was like, no, but you're actually like getting better. And I felt so embarrassed after that. Mm -hmm. But then I had a moment where I was like, it's okay to learn something new and to be not so well. It's okay for you not to be knowledgeable about certain things especially in terms of the cultural aspects of the country that you're living, but you must be willing to learn more and have an open mind. So overall, just to top things off, final question is, so you need to be adaptable. That's the skill you think. 
But when you are immigrating, um, there's so many social and economic factors that you have to consider. I've spoken to people, you know, on a social level who've immigrated to Asia and they didn't have a great time. So they're quite comfortable staying in Zimbabwe because that was their immigration experience. But then there are people who've gone to the States or Canada who are like, yo, I'm never coming back to Africa. Like, this is where it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what do you think is the most important thing someone should consider if they have an opportunity to immigrate? that's hard Mm -hmm. I can't can't pin it down to one Mm -hmm. but I think it's a combo of social economic factors make sure that you have the resources to live in that space Mm -hmm. like and I mean like to actually not yeah to to live okay you know that Mm -hmm. you're not scrounging for money for rent and you know you're working five odd jobs to just get just to get by Mm -hmm. I don't think that's worth it I don't think that's an experience that I'd want to have especially if I'm overseas Mm -hmm. I think if you immigrate if you move to South Africa there's I don't know there's some sort of level of um flexibility that allows you to do that but you also have a support system you know and you're also in an environment where you are close to home and there's some sort of familiarity. But if you try and do that and say like, France, yo man, <laughs> you are not going to enjoy living, especially if you live like in Paris or one of the biggest mm-hmm. cities. Like it's expensive. Like I think that's something people really need to be honest. Living abroad is expensive. Yes, there is this desire to leave Zimbabwe for greener pastures. But you also have to be a bit realistic to yourself to say, you know, at what cost will it be living in this, you know, expensive city? And when I mean cost, it's financial, but also like the emotional and the mental cost of it. Because I think something that people are becoming more and more open about are, you know, the the isolation that comes with living abroad and living alone and from, you know, disconnected from your uh, support structures Mm. and if you are working multiple jobs just to get by Mm. and you don't have your social structures close to you it can be very difficult Mm. and also the reality is that some people move because they need to take care of their families back home yeah and that's something that you also have to take into consideration whereby like do I have the resources to you know make my commitments to the quote-unquote black tax and then I think the second factor is definitely the social aspect um it's like I said it's it does get lonely um living abroad especially if you don't have family in the country that you're in and you have to kind of make your own communities there so ask yourself you know are there people that I know from some part of my life that can introduce me to other people I think it's easier when you're going to school because when everybody's looking for friends but I think as you get older you know in adulthood it's it is a bit difficult to make friends new friends when you're an adult so those are some of the things that you would also want to take into consideration I think the number one takeaway I guess from my experience, and I I don't know if you can agree, it's just whatever context you're leaving in, it's not easy. And I think you were to have like a great well-paying job, that's lovely, but it doesn't take away from, you know, the emotional ties, the 
long distance relationship you have with you know your family your home country and also i guess you're your your you yourself you know um wondering okay is it worth it you know is this high salary worth yeah. missing out at home you come back to them and you're like yo guys things are really bad like what am i supposed to do? <laughs> um your experience is just like so interesting and it was great to be able to touch base with you about just constantly bouncing from one place to another and like how that has impacted your life it's definitely impacted my life thank you for having me i'm really happy we got time to talk and to unpack some of these things because yeah i think it's a it's a challenge for a lot of people um you know should i go should i stay what you know what factors shape these decisions so i'm happy we've got the space to discuss it from our perspectives and that is the episode thank you so much once again to our guest chido for joining us and thank you for listening i really appreciate all the downloads listens comments engagements you name it thank you so 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 much once again please do not forget to follow the podcast on instagram at in this economy podcast follow me your host at kimia jekka on twitter and yeah tell me about your experiences coming home whether it was from a long stint the circumstances that forced you home if you came home by choice or even what you've experienced you know when you've come home on holiday and you see the reality of the situation in Zimbabwe or your home country if you left for various economic or scholarly reasons whatever it is I want to hear from you thank you so much and I will catch you next week for the final episode of season one so excited so yeah we'll see you next week